Hi everyone, and welcome to Queer Reflections, the podcast where we discuss queer representation in our visual media, past, present, and future. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and support to this podcast. To find out more and follow along, see at Queer Reflections on Instagram. If you like what you hear, please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Queer Reflections, the podcast where we explore queer representation in the media, past, present and future. Welcome to 2022, I hope you had a really good time over the Christmas and New Year break, it's wonderful to be back and be able to record again. I really hope you're all having a good time so far this year and are taking the time to look after yourselves. I'm lucky enough today to be joined by Ross Cobb on the podcast to talk about their relationship with queer media. Ross is a drag queen who performs under the name Lucy Kabusi and is gender fluid. This was a super, super enjoyable and interesting interview, which I really, really struggled to cut down. So it is a long one. So you may want to listen to it in two parts or all at once. It's totally up to you. So without further delay, enjoy. how are you doing i'm good thank you how are you today tonight this evening this morning i don't know when this goes out yeah I'm, tonight wh- whatever time of day it is yeah i'm good thank you thank you so much for joining me you look amazing thank you i always make an effort for um non-visual mediums i think it's important yeah it's definitely i well i am uh, i don't know i'm very kind of grateful that you have made the effort it's definitely brought a smile to my face i haven't made that much of an effort homeless now i'm literally just in like a turtleneck and I put eyebrows on, which is effort for me, so. No, I love that. So, um, Ross, how about you introduce yourself rather than me attempt to do an appalling job? I don't know, you might do better than I would. Um, so my name is Ross. I am, um, I guess, a drag queen is what I do now as my full-time gig. Uh, my drag name is Lucy Kabusi. Uh, I'm also a gender-fluid person. I don't know what else you want to know. I'm very old, but I sound and look like a child. I don't... Well, uh, okay, I, I have to admit, I was surprised when... I think you posted recently your age, and I was like, I did not put you down as someone of that age. I don't have a problem with being old, but people do have a problem with me being old. As in, like, I'll tell people my age, and they go, no, you're not. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I, I definitely am. I definitely was born in the 80s. So, like, it's it's a weird one. Like, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. So, I just... Whenever people ask, I just say, like, I'm 19-ish. Like, a soft 19 just for, just for everyone's comfort. I'm not going to ask your age, but I'm wondering whether the media references we talk about today are going to uh, place your age. I probably, I think also I've got an unfair advantage of, I'm both my parents are in their 40s when they had me, and I've got three older brothers, so I kind of grew up watching older films and things, and a lot of the toys I played with as a kid would be probably toys that people born maybe a year or two after me wouldn't have even seen. Okay, Ross. I, firstly, rather than kind of jump straight into my normal questions, I want to know how you got into drag. 
I, I kind of have this wonderful personality trait where I don't really like to do things that might make me happy. It's very humbling. So, I mean, like I've, I've loved drag for the longest time and I've wanted to do drag for... I remember specifically, I can tell you when I knew I wanted to do drag and it was when I was, when I was in my first year of university I used to be a a dancer I'm air quoting you can't see at home a dancer and in a drag cabaret and I, I used I used the air quotes because it was literally step clicking in hot pants which I don't think I don't count as dancing but I remember we were rehearsing in the drag queen's house and uh season one of RuPaul's Drag Race was on E4 and I remember watching it and being like this is incredible I'd never seen drag queens like that because back at that time in Manchester where I studied all the drag was kind of very typically British drag um, there was one queen whose name I can't remember her name was Kitty something um, and she was beautiful she looked like a woman and everyone else kind of was like your dad in a in a wig doing a song like it was, and that was that's what drag was back then and drag still is that to a degree and I, I, I love that kind of drag but I'd never seen like drag that was like this sort of style of drag that it was still it was still funny and it was still camp but it was beauty and things so yeah I mean ever since then I kind of wanted to and I just kind of never allowed myself to do it even though I have for the longest time owned probably about 30 wigs and costumes for drag I, I never did drag and then during lockdown so in November I think it was last year ish time I did a competition online because I was like well you're at home alone you might as well you know do some stuff maybe maybe try and be happy I'm still unhappy but now I do drag so <laughs> sideways moves so what was that competition? Uh, so it was, well, I'm very humble. I did win. It was a competition that was hosted and judged by Victoria Scon and Auntie Ginger, who was at the time Miss Drag UK. And it was called Top Banana. And it was just kind of like a silly online thing. There was different like things we had to do. We did a talent section. We had to do um, a runway. We had to do an introduction. We had to eat bananas, as many bananas as we could in a minute. Or 30 seconds, I can't remember, it was rancid. And how many, how many did you do? I, did, I think I did five or six, which I think is quite good. But I remember like thinking about it and being like, oh, like, bananas are bananas. And I bought like two big bags of bananas. And I filmed my first try and I ate two, like one and a half bananas. And I was like, absolutely not. This is not how I'm going down. This is not how I'm going down. But it was a really, really, really great time. Really fun. Uh, a couple of my friends were involved and obviously I made friends from that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think drag is so much fun and it's such a great area of exploration an expression and I, I definitely learned a lot about myself and kind of put together a lot of pieces of who I am through doing drag and since going into doing drag. So is it kind of only recently that you've kind of come out as a gender fluid or? So I think everyone who is uh, a non-gender conforming person their experience of it is entirely their own and it's all different. For me personally pronouns don't mean anything to me I don't if you call me uh I'll take any of the main three basically I had a friend who used to like to be called it and I wasn't into that like it makes me personally I mean it's their pronoun but for me um it's not a, a pronoun I like but he she they if I get he for the rest of my life every day I've got no problem I think the huge benefit I get is when I am working I'm almost exclusively called she so I, I kind of get my own sort of gender euphoria in its own kind of way, if that makes sense. But yeah, I, I um, in terms of coming out, which actually was the question you asked five minutes ago, I th it was definitely through through drag. Again, here's a monologue to get you into it. Growing up, I definitely, from probably about four or five, I definitely thought I would grow up to be a trans woman. I've got very vivid memories of being a child and like crying at night thinking about the things that I wouldn't be allowed to do as a trans woman, like get married or ha have a baby and things like that. I have such vivid memories of being so upset about these things I would never ever be able to do. I kind of think it was probably about 14, 15-ish. I kind of got to a point where I was like, actually, I really like being a boy. I like all the things that are afforded to me as being a boy. And I like 
how I feel. And I hadn't really thought about it until um, I was doing drag and I was kind of exploring that. And was, the last competition I did, which was a London-based competition, which was uh, Next Drag Superstar, it was kind of, I think it was more so to do with that because I met a lot more diverse queer people. And it wasn't just, because generally speaking, where I am, there's a very shallow pool but it's mainly white cis men so I kind of don't really get much time to have a conversation with anyone that's more interesting or hear any kind of narrative that's kind of beyond what I'm used to but it was kind of through that and kind of talking to the people that were there was a lot of non-binary people there was a lot of um people other than ethnicities I come from a an area where you know I'm probably the most ethnically diverse and I'm super white so it was kind of I think partly to do with that that definitely helped me um I remember as part of it, we did um, a pairs week and the person I was paired with was an non-binary drag performer. Um, and we decided we were going to do for our thing, we were going to talk about like ourselves because they were, they were seeing us perform, but they weren't really getting to know us. And I kind of think for me, like when I watch things like Drag Race, what I love most about it is falling in love with them as people. It's not just seeing their amazing work they do on the runway and things so I kind of I said to my partner I said like I think we definitely should let them get to know us a bit and I kind of talked about it and that, that was like the first time I ever came out I'd never really said to anyone anything about like my sexuality or gender um, and I kind of used the opportunity to say like I'm going to come out to you because you know you guys have become like my chosen family sort of so yeah it was kind of it was kind of nice but that was that means I literally came out at this is the moment I'm going to say my age everyone that was guessed so far 32 so yeah it was um I was actually 31 at the time just for my birthday but yeah it was it was kind of it was very I'd never really been bothered about the fact that I'd never had to say to anyone because I just don't think there's always that narrative of like you know people shouldn't have to come out which I totally agree with but I think when it is something that is a societal norm those aren't words but you know what I'm saying I think there definitely is an element of it meaning a lot when you actually say those words because I mean I'd worked I'd worked in gay bars and things and I'd had boyfriends since I was 18 so like a long long time to without ever actually saying out loud I am a queer person do you know what I mean but it was a really nice experience and a really like, humbling experience to be able to share that with people okay thank you for kind of going through that and like it's it's interesting to see how kind of drag unlocked that in you or at least kind of allowed you to vocalize it i would i think that's true of quite a lot of people i mean i know anyone who's a fan of uh, drag race will have seen many people kind of come to terms with it on the show and talk about coming to terms with it on the show but i mean even um drag queen friends of mine want to have conversations with them because you, you when you're when you're um presenting as a woman when you're in drag the way people treat you the way things the things people will say to you it, it definitely will unlock something and i think i had i had this kind of conversation with the um queen i work with um uh, my, my regular hosting gig a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how it definitely if you've got any sort of um leeway in terms of your gender you'll definitely experience it um and i also think it's really important i think everyone should at some point get in drag because i think it's uncomparable i think you can't experience it any other way i think no matter what you've how you feel gender wise male female non-binary i think everyone deserves to put on a really really nice dress a big wig and some heels and go have some fun because you will ever you always have fun no matter how great you look i mean obviously ideally we, we want to look like kate blanchett like i always do but you know even 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 if you're a lesser hollywood star i don't know um <laughs> it's it's definitely an experience i think like i've never I've heard people, people have said things to me in drag that I've never heard as a uh, male presenting person, which, uh, which is bizarre. Like I, 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 I will say I probably get told I look beautiful at least 10 times a night when I'm in drag. I, I can't think I've ever been told I've been beautiful. At, well, I mean, I have, but I, you know, I can't think of a, a regular frequency to which I'm, look at me making up words. I'm basically Shakespeare, a regular frequency of 
um, that <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. It's great. It's great. Um, so let's let's get into it. Are you interested in kind of the the queer representations you kind of saw in the media? What what's your relationship with queer media in general? Let's start with that one. So I'm one of them people who um, my experience of being what we're going to ref- what I'm going to refer to for this moment in time as a, a gay man wasn't necessarily like I think most other people's who are gay in the I wasn't someone that was like I've always known I was gay um my experience of being gay was I was never bothered by it in terms of sexually I was never it wasn't a case of like I had an issue with it and like I'd done stuff with guys but like I wasn't like I'm attracted to guys like if I go if I was to go to a party I wouldn't want to hook up with a guy but I would never had like an attraction to guys until I fell in love with a guy and then now I'm kind of like the opposite way around that like romantic I'm only interested in male presenting people um and female people are something I would not rule out having a sexual interaction with thank you that's me advertising myself you can find my Instagram later don't worry it's fine um so for me kind of queer representation as a, as a kid is a bit difficult because it wasn't necessarily something I was looking for at that time it wasn't something I was like I think often well I can say often because I know f- as a fact when I became part of the um, Rainbow Mafia that I was looking for it um, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about in a bit but um, I mean the, the first I was thinking about this earlier and the first uh, maybe and you know I, I, re-read, I read the um, spoiler sometimes you, um, Harry gives us the questions in advance so we can think about answers I was thinking about it and I, I thought what it was and I remembered so many details without googling it I didn't google it at all and I thought well maybe like there was part of me like in my back of my mind that thought about it so my first the earliest time i can remember any sort of queer representation was on get ready for this don't be jealous of my references it was emma it was emma dale okay emma dale and bernice had just come back with her i think he was her fiance his name was gavin and she she went into like a spare room and he was there kissing a man and that's the first time i ever remember seeing like gay people on television i'm sure i've seen them before but that was the first that's the first time in my memory i can think about having seen something like that I kind of, so actually I'm sure I'll probably go into a bit more in detail later. Um, as I said, my parents were a lot older. So some of their views, well, not my mum. I don't think my mum particularly cared, but I think she probably knew that she was going to have her gay for a son. So my dad specifically, I've said a lot more um, dated views on those kind of things. So I have a lot of memories of him saying things when I was younger. But yeah, that's kind of the first time in media I remember seeing something and thinking like, oh, that's... Do you remember kind of the, the reaction? I think it, it was at a time when on television, I wouldn't say it was progressive because it definitely wasn't. But I think in terms of what television was representing at that time for queer representation, it was almost quite tame because I think there was always that element of like shock factor. It was always like that disclosure thing of being like, we don't think this person's gay, we don't think this person's trans. Oh my God, they are trans, they're gay. So there was that, obviously that shock element of, being like oh he's with her and then oh no he's kissing a man but i think it was quite tense i don't think it was very it wasn't offensively done because i think often again we'll talk about this later i'm sure so moving on from that what would you say kind of the most significant queer representation you've experienced was um i think (sighs) i hate myself so much for me, I really struggle with queer representation because I really hate it. Like, I would almost rather there not be queer representation because nine times out of ten, it's so horrible. I would honestly rather them not try. I kind of think in my active time as a queer person, I've seen the time where, when specifically gay men, let's talk about it for a second, when gay men are represented. Initially, it was we had to be very high camp, very um, 
inoffensive, very um, non-sexual at all, like sexless. I mean, if you think about this is gonna this is a real throwback. If you think about in Porridge and things with um, Christopher Biggins, who's now very controversial, his representation in anything he did in that kind of time, he always played some sort of gay character. It was always very femme. It was always very sexless, always. Which I'm not being funny. If you were a gay in the prison back in those days, you'd be you'd be you'd be getting porked a lot. Can I say porked? I don't know. I thought I I feel like of of all the words, that's a tame tame way of saying it. Yeah, we'll go with it. Well, I I thought I thought it was I thought it was the least aggressive, but also the most visually disgusting. Yes, porked. You're well. Honestly, you're welcome. I look forward to hearing that in future podcasts. I've never heard someone describe as porked. What we're affectionately referring to as porked. Um, it's the kind of, and I kind of think it progressed from that to then what I think is kind of just beginning to die now, which is basically a very, very straight mask presenting person. Again, to, if I can use Emmerdale, which is my only reference, I promise. Yeah, that's the only one. It's the only thing you've ever seen, right? It's just Emmerdale. I, I, all I watch is back to back Everdale. That's all I've got. But the, uh, I can't even remember that. Is that Rob, Robert and Aaron who are a gay couple? They got married. I mean, I have not, I have absolutely not seen Everdale. So, well, your, your ignorance is blinding. No. Um, so it's, they were, I think Aaron came in as a gay character or developed who was gay. And then Robert then decided he was gay after having been married to five women. Cause you know, that's a very normal way for life to work. Five women. I don't know. It's it's a it's a soap. Generally, got to keep it interesting. But they they neither of them were like I I I personally I don't lean it particularly into I it's it's it was at the opposite ends of offence to me because it was like well, you can either be like super camp and offensive or you can be like super straight you know and I've got no problem like personally speaking like I I prefer a femme presenting person <laughs> a femme presenting mask person no um to uh, like a high mask energy. I know I'm confusing myself. I don't know what I am anymore. But it, it just it didn't like it, I didn't believe it because I I could very much tell these were two straight white cis men playing playing at being gay. But doing the and by which I mean like they would kiss each other and that would be it. You know, and it wasn't. I didn't believe these were these were queer people. Yeah. Obviously, in recent years, we've kind of had like a real um, renaissance almost of like is that the right word? Who knows? I've said it of queer representation. I mean, if you think like. Like, if you'd have told, like, I remember saying when I saw um, the musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie the first time, I went with a friend and I remember, like, I was crying, like, as I was leaving. And she was like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just, I just can't imagine. Like, if I'd been 16 and seen this, like, what my life could be like now. Do you know what I mean? And things like, so we've got, like, things like Jamie, things like um, Pose, It's a Sin, which I think is probably, for me, the best representation. Because, obviously, being British, it kind of represents a world that I can relate to more. Where obviously, Pose, I kind of, I look forward to a time where we can have some queer representation that isn't just about the AIDS epidemic. And maybe where queer people can just be old and happy. I don't know if you probably, I, I don't know if we've talked about this or whether you've talked about this ever. But there's kind of, again, soaps aren't my only reference. But in regular, long-running series, whenever there's queer characters, often they will when they get to a point of happiness, one of them will have to die. And it's like, if you look at, if you look at the couples and things that happen, they'll get together and then one of them will have to die. And that's always, you, they can never just let queer people be happy. And I get that it's different. It's not different in that they would do exactly the same or most of the time do exactly the same with um, straight couples or heterosexual couples. But I think the fact we don't have any represented queer couple 
of a long-term relationship that are just happy i think it's really sad because i think oh the older i get the kind of more i've always been of like the mindset like i hate representation because it never gives me what i need and what i want even when it's even when it's good like i don't even think i think i say it's a sin that anytime i've seen characters that i've thought like that's people like me and people that i know like pose again as i say i think it's a great drama but i don't think it's almost in that drag race realm of like you don't need to really care about the fact that these people are queer people to enjoy the drama and the stories. The storylines are the storylines are great on their own, regardless of the context of. And, I'm, and I, I say that, I feel like I'm a horrible person saying that because I'm sure, you know that that Pose has done so many leaps and bounds for people who maybe have had no exposure to um, trans or trans people of color. Um, so I, I feel bad saying that, but I do, and I'm sure it's done leaps and leaps and bounds. I'm sure it's changed and built relationships between people. Um, but for me, it, it didn't do that. I, I think that that's a cultural thing, personally speaking. I don't even know what your question was anymore. It was about kind of the significant, like a significant text view. And I think it's uh, it's interesting that you kind of have latched onto it to sin there. And I like what you've kind of just said about you don't really like the representation. And it's true because most of it is kind of, it's queerness, but it's through a straight lens. And I think what you're referring to, the kind of uh, where gay characters always have to have like a tragic ending is known as kind of the kill your gays trope. One that's just stuck in my mind is, uh, I just watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. Have you seen that? Um, I started and I thought, you know what, listen, these accents, sis. <laughs> I love, I love, listen, I love Dick Van Dyke as much as the next person, but that's the most recent one, isn't it? Because there's two, isn't there? There's one... Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, both of them have the the guy from ET in it, and yeah, his uh, British accent, it, yeah, is interesting. But yeah, there there was a like a lesbian relationship in that, and yeah, it just like definitely ended tragically. So yeah, even like yeah. Well, I think in terms of lesbian representation, it's probably even worse because it's used for that porn factor, isn't it? It's too very hot girls who are gonna do some kissing and maybe be in underwear one time. Like it's not they're not trying to represent the lesbian experience or so rarely. I mean, there are definitely examples of that out there. Yeah. And um, I was talking to a friend recently and they were saying that it's really evident in the world of Reddit. Are you a Redditor? Are you someone who's on Reddit a lot? Is that Redditor a term? Well, it, I would say it and I love making up words. So yeah. Um, or Redditor. Um, it's, I have been on there. Um, I try not to because all the things I'd want to see on there would um, upset and depress me, you know. So I just, I occasionally just brush through or if I search something and it comes up, I'll look. But it's not something I frequent. Well, no, I, I, I have it, but only because my friends have it and I have uh, I felt like I was missing out. But I felt like I had a couple of days where it kind of sapped the life out of me, where I was just like consistently scrolling. And then I kind of avoid it now. Um but they were telling me about kind of there's a subreddit which is just lesbian and it is just straight men and with lesbian porn. And, the, and then there's another subreddit which said the actual lesbians, which is kind of a lesbian community, which I think is very telling to kind of how lesbian identities are kind of treated by uh, straight, white, not white, not necessarily white, but mainly white men. I think I think often white is an attitude more than a race. Now I think it's like transcended. Absolutely. Um, I, on the subject of drag race, um, I have been kind of researching into kind of like uh, gender identity and drag race, and there's kind of a lot of out there that says that drag race is great, but yeah, it kind of has that problem of 
uh, it's like the top 5% of drag identity. Um, I wonder what your, your opinion of it, like it's very kind of cishet normative, even though it is kind of... I mean, you're definitely, if you thought I was giving you a monologue based on nothing to get back to a point, you really opened the can of worms this time. I have a lot of opinions on this because I think, especially a lot of drag performers will be the first to say that drag race is really bad and that what RuPaul does is terrible. But ultimately, everyone that has a drag career right now owes RuPaul to a degree for what he what he's done for the community and what he's done for exposure. And it's it, it definitely, I think more and more, it's accommodating to the straights. But it's I think that's what drag is becoming now you know like the best way for any drag performer to be making money is to do a drag brunch which is basically to do like a britney number for a bunch of 20 to 30 year old women while they're getting piffed on prosecco and yeah like that's kind of what it's become but i i also think that drag race gets a really unfair rap and i say this to everyone all the time because people people are the first to say you know they only let gay men on a web or they only let male pretending people on but ultimately you need to remember that when you're talking about drag race what you're talking about is a show that RuPaul and his team presented to a, a room full of old white men. And they said, and also they fought for such a long time to get it. Even in, I mean, they've been trying to get it in the UK since like season four or five of the American one. So we're talking like a good, almost 10 years. So they, but they, they'll have gone to a room of like five old white men in suits and said, we've got this idea for a show that is men transforming into beautiful women and then competing for a prize, which sounds like a great show. So to me, when you say, oh, they've only just started allowing trans people on the, the main show, I'm not surprised it's taken that long to then say to the people that are bringing the money and bringing the um, production that they want to do these things. I mean, drag has always been about trans people. It's always been trans people. So many of the greatest trans, um, sorry, so many of the greatest drag performers you'll see out there are trans women and trans men. But I mean, if you think like uh, Marsha P. Johnson is was a trans woman. Well, we we think <laughs> she refers to herself as a lot of things, but I mean, if by by today's standards of what we kind of um, in terms of gender, we would refer to her as a trans woman. So yeah, I mean, there's so many. Um, I think I think Drag Race gets a real rough end of the deal, but I mean, the UK one, the last season when there was literally like two POCs, it it was a little embarrassing, especially when half the queens come from London, where I mean, well over half the drag queens I know that they work in London are queens of colour. It, it just feels a bit underwhelming, especially when I know so many phenomenal queens of colour. All the all the best drag performers I've seen when I've been to London shows are performers of colour. Um, and that's not like, because they're people of colour, just they're generally some of the most incredible performers. The, the, the performers that have moved me to tears are queens and kings of colour. So yeah, it's, it's a shame that we're not getting that. But at the same time, I kind of understand it. We're lucky that the BBC has a diversity requirement they have to fulfil. So I think season four, we're definitely going to see a lot more diversity, which will be great, will be great. And that's what, what we need. And so it's what we deserve. Like, I, th- I totally get that they're selling a franchise and it's not as straightforward as saying, let's do this now. Let's throw a drag king in. It's not that straightforward because you're accommodating to an audience that are they've come to be used to what you're giving them. And it's then difficult to then say, here's something else you might like. Oh, I like two seconds ago, I was like, oh, that's going to be an amazing point. I'm going to bring it up now and I've completely forgotten what it was. Like, that loud. Oh, I was going to say, well, I know it's completely uh, kind of out there, but I, as you know, uh, me and Holly uh, both worked in the UK Pavilion, as you know. And I always felt like an element of kind of, not shame, but just like, this isn't the UK mm-hmm. because of kind of, like we were, the whole cast for the UK Pavilion were white. The things we were kind of promoting was just like this very kind of 
narrow kind of almost colonial British identity of kind of the 1600s. And I was always trying to push the fact, well, to guests and say like, actually we're a very diverse country and like any opportunity where I could to kind of talk about kind of the reality of our country and kind of how diverse we are in terms of identities and kind of, I definitely did, but I always felt like that kind of element of this isn't an accurate representation, even though I know it's a Disney park, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I think being, uh, when I came to visit and saw Holly, um, it was definitely interesting to me because I think for sure, it is what, if you were to ask any American, it's what I'd imagine they would say England looks like. Um, it's like, if you, I, I'm sure you had conversations with people. I know when I went to New York for the first time, one of the waiters was saying, like, oh, where are you from? And we were like, I was like, oh, from Portsmouth, um, which is where I'm from. And he would say, like, oh, is that like London? And I'd be like, oh, it's like two hours from London. He's like, oh, so London then? Because they've got no concept of like, like I always say, I always say to people like in the UK, if you were to say like, um, do you want to come around? Or how, how far is it? It's like half an hour. Oh, don't worry. In America, like two hour journey is nothing. That's like to the corner shop. Um, whereas in the UK, literally more than 10 minutes. I'm like, no, don't worry about it another time. It's it's crazy, but that's, it's just a sense of proportion, isn't it? But I, I mean, when you, th- I think when someone who hasn't got a concept of England thinks of England, what they think of is the UK Pavilion for sure. That sort of Tudory looking twee. I mean, because the costumes you wear, you, uh, the, the boys one isn't too bad. The girls one, honestly, a work of homophobia was done that day. Um, why you're not in Primark tracksuits, I'll never understand. It's just <laughs> absolute audacity. One of the worst costumes, I think, but maybe because I know. But then equally, then I, I go to like Germany and see them in their lederhosen and they'll be like, yeah, that's what the Germans wear. I've been to Germany. I've never, I've never seen a German in a lederhosen ever in my life. But it is, that's what they're doing, aren't they? They're accommodating, which again is what, what things like Drag Race is doing, what things like, um, what, even what, what we all do in drag is what we're accommodating to what the common perception is. When I, when I dress as a woman, I dress in a way that... I conceive the uh, most common way to look like a beautiful woman is to have blonde hair, to have big boobs, to be curvaceous, to wear a low-cut dress and things. We're all just appealing to the most common denominator of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, so that totally makes sense. Exactly. Do you think then, given the fact that you kind of, I'm not saying a distaste for kind of queer media, but do you think that having any sort of queer media representations have helped you along the way? Like, can you think of anything that's kind of been like, actually, that helped me kind of understand that? Or do you think it's all been kind of your own? Uh, no, de- definitely, definitely. It's not, I, um, I, I wouldn't say I've got a disdain for it. I think I just, I'm always apprehensive when I see things. Like, I don't, I'm not even, because often I, I'll have the conversation all the time because I'm very passionate about it. But I, generally speaking, I'm quite against non-queer people playing queer roles. And it's not, it's not a thing of like, you know, non-white people shouldn't play, uh, non-people of colour shouldn't play people of colour roles. It's not that kind of thing. I just don't think they always get it. Um, recently, Reddy Edming um, apologised in an article about um, playing the Danish, doing, doing Lily and the Danish Girl, yeah. Um, and for me, personally, I thought he did a really great job. I thought the kind of way he dealt with it was beautiful. And I, I, did, I genuinely believed it. So often when I see people play queer roles, I don't believe it. And I think um, it's not successfully achieved. I don't know if you've ever... Sorry, I'm going to pause and say that again. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, Australian film Colotta, um, which is a really great piece. Um, it's it's on YouTube, I think, actually, the whole thing. Um, it's Colotta with a... She was... Um, she's the basis for Bernadette in Priscilla. She's like the first big famous trans woman in Australia. And the film of her life is really interesting, phenomenal. But she's played by a female actress the whole time, even when she's a 
apart from when she's a child, when she's a child, she's played by a little boy. But the whole time of her like matureness, she's played by a female actress. Um, and I read an interview about it, and she said um, the reason it was a female actress was because I was always a woman. It was nothing to do with I wasn't about the transition. You think about I think one of the the greatest representations I've ever seen of a trans person was uh, Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black, who has a twin brother. When that when that happened on screen, I, my mind was blown because they look so very similar. I had to like pause it and Google it because it was, I was like, I, I, I can't, oh, I was gagged by it. It was, I was honestly blown away. So I, I think for me, the most representation that appeals to me and speaks to me is trans representation because I think when it's right, it's so right. When it's wrong, when it's been wrong, it's, it's been wrong, but when it's right, it's so right. And I, I love, because I think with, as, as a gender nonconformist, I think for me, I kind of, I think why I've struggled is it's not black and white. You know, when you're, I think if you are a, when I, when I was a male person that felt female on the inside, I understood that when you mostly feel like a man and you kind of sometimes feel like something else, it's not um, as definitive. And I imagine it's, I imagine it's the same for non-binary people because when you don't really feel like either camp, when it's a two-party system, I'm nowhere near your question, um, <laughs> but I'm saying words. I'm saying words. It's it's a tough one. I think representation as a whole is just so difficult. I love that we're getting to a place where it's getting to a uh, a portrayal where I believe it. My original point was that I I'm not against uh, non-queer people playing queer roles, but I I just want I just want to see it done well, and that's that's all. I don't I don't care what it is. I don't care how they're presenting. I just want I just want to see. Like any kind of acting, it's not even about playing a queer person. Like I don't want to go see cats and someone not make the effort to act like a cat. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I'm there. I'm there for your commitment. I'm there for you to sell me a story. And if if I don't believe that this person is conflicted over their gender, then it's it's just such a struggle for me to enjoy it. And I think so often because that's all that that's what they'll lead with. It won't be a it won't be like a side character who comes in every half hour and says like I might like men. Do you know what I mean? It's not that. It's always a key focus um, when we're talking about gender and sexuality issues what about kind of behind the scenes what about kind of directors writers what uh, what do you feel about kind of straight cis writers and directors writing queer stories it's tough isn't it because i think even even when you're talking about um queer writing and all those kind of things it, it comes into the same ilk almost like but then equally it's you could be you could be a fantastic writer, a uh, straight writer, and write a fantastic piece about a queer person and then have a performer that doesn't understand it. You know, it's... it's and I mean, There's so many times where there's... If you look at some scripts that are phenomenally performed and read the script, the script is kind of nothing, but the performance is what it is. You know, it's, so it can really go, go both ways. Um, I kind of... I'm really happy to see the um, use of, like... Uh, do they call it an in inclusion writer? Um, where they bring in someone of that area instead of just being like, I can guess what it's like to fancy men, which I, I love. And I've, I've seen that in quite a few films in recent years, which... Yeah, yeah. It, like, it almost seems like... when I, mean, I, I can't remember... There was a film, must have won an Oscar or something, talking about their in inclusion writer. And I, I, when they said it, I thought, like, that must have been the moment where they were just like this is a no-brainer like why have we not always done this you know because it just makes it makes such sense to if you're going to tell a story to have even if even if you know you're telling that story to have people that are going to be able to give you the knowledge i remember um god i'm i'm so sorry for my very specific and random references emmerdale <laughs> so in emmerdale no uh, it's actually it's actually the queen of the turfs jk rowling when she was doing her um online pottermore stuff she was writing about schools in other cultures. Yeah. Um, and people, she got a lot of like um, 
negative feedback from it because she kind of was she didn't really ask anyone about like Japanese culture she just kind of she just Epcotted it and kind of went like what would the Japanese pavilion be like you know she didn't really she didn't think maybe I'll talk to someone who could give me some kind of input she kind of just made her own conclusions and it wasn't very it was the beginning of the end for her if I'm honest but uh, (laughs) uh, it's one of those kind of murky areas isn't it I, I mean, I love it. I think it's great. I, I hope and I'm sure we're going to see more of that kind of thing, which is what we need, because I think it's going to, I always say, like, for me, the kind of circling back to my drag, the kind of drag that I do is like the very commercial kind of drag. But the kind of drag that I love is like weird drag. Um, there's this drag performer called Wet Mess, who, lol, who is just the most incredible performer I've never seen. When I watch them, I'm, I'm just, I must look like I hate them because my jaw is on the floor. I'm just like, the whole time. Because what they do, I just can't even imagine having that level of creativity to what I do. I just do like, you know, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> and they're, 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 they're doing these like really clever, well thought out, fully designed pieces. Um, that's the kind of drag that I love. And I know that like for me, my I like to use my platform to raise people like that. People who maybe, you, you wouldn't necessarily go say, I'll go see Wet Mess. You'll go say, I'm going to see this blonde girl with big titties tonight. Um and that's kind of that's how we get through that's how queer people got rights we we latched onto our gay friends who were white straight people and who said like this isn't right and that's how we, we all raise up a level by the help of people that are already above us and i think the, the use of an inclusion writer is definitely going to do that it's going to allow queer writers and writers of color and uh, other descents to get a profile they wouldn't necessarily get because would they be would a queer person be able to write a film that's going to have like angina jolie in probably not but could they be an inclusion writer on such a film absolutely and it it gives it raises i think the success and the um utilization of any queer person is a a goal and a victory success for all of us yeah and i think that involvement is key and i think yeah to be fair i think i'm thinking of it too black and white actually where i'm thinking if it's a queer story i would like a queer writer or someone behind the scenes who is queer that's and i think um i'm a big fan of crazy ex-girlfriend netflix show and i was always so impressed with their writer's room and how kind of diverse it was and i felt like the diversity and kind of the queerness in that show is done really well kind of a bisexual character kind of but also kind of um kind of Filipino uh, representation, really kind of interesting ones and done really nicely and done nuanced and developed. And I I feel like my mind was just like, oh, that just comes from definitely having kind of queer people or kind of POC people writing those stories. But I, I like the idea of kind of an inclusion writer as kind of like a, a stepping stone towards that. You said, I just did a year, you said something, I was like, I'm going to say something about that and I completely forgot what it was. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that Epcotted is one of my favourite uh, verb conjuga- conjugations I've ever heard? <laughs> Epcotted. Yeah. I'll be hearing you use it all the time and I'll be like, ah. I'll be claiming royalties on that one. Okay. So I think um, what I love, I know I remember what I was going to say. What I love is inclusion that is, um, sorry, not inclu- inclusion, diversity that is, feels like organic um, diversity. I, I think I hate more than when they're just like, shoehorn diversity into something I, I think they do it quite a lot with people of color um specifically in like tv in they'll in musicals that like they'll they'll be think they're being bold and controversial by casting a person of color in a role that's never been a person of color before and like it doesn't it doesn't feel often it doesn't feel genuine it feels like they're just they just want to say like we've got the first black phantom do you know what i mean it's like okay it, cool but like, the first black phantom was one of the most talented musical theater performers ever 
Like he didn't need to be the first black phantom. He needed to be the best phantom because he was phenomenal. I feel like the um, the people behind that decision, uh, when I think about kind of, my parents would definitely be the sort of people who say, "Well, I don't see color," and I and I don't I don't like that term because I think that that all that does is kind of ignore the fact that we live in kind of a society which is racist and which it. It's uh yeah it's uh it's like um. A get out of jail card, isn't it, uh, for racism? It then looks, it ignores other factors that may be around. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm kind of providing training to staff at the college I teach at, and one of the things I say is like, if a kid comes out to you, like as much as I know that you, what your reaction is like, oh, cool, and then move on. Don't do that <laughs> because like you're you've you're kind of ignoring the amount of stress and anxiety that they've probably gone through to come and talk to you and say that decision and that reaction and is like a downplay and as much as that probably is what you feel like it doesn't really matter and it shouldn't matter sadly we do live in a society where these these things do matter yeah and their life is probably going to be more difficult because they belong to the queer community so, yeah so i think it's it's i get it i get kind of it but i think that kind of line of thought is naive no i, I totally agree especially in that context obviously one that we can understand a bit more a bit closer to home it's I'd like to think that if I was going to, if I was 14, 15, I was going to come out to a teacher, I'd like to think I'd have a relationship with that teacher whereby I would get more out of them than, than that. But also I kind of understand now as an adult that if someone was to say that to me, I might be like, cool. All right. I imagine, I imagine if I was at, at your school, I'd probably come out to someone like you who is so openly a queer person, but you never know. Do you sometimes you, people have different reasons for, want to talk to a different person maybe they maybe they really love english maybe that teacher reminds them of an aunt or something you know it's not necessarily as black and white as being like i'm going to talk to the gay one like it's not always that's that's my that's my mask voice i use when i'm trying to impress the straights no i I, i'm totally with you there um i like how you kind of brought in this musical theater kind of uh thought as well uh i recently saw jamie on stage really good really really enjoyed it and uh, Luke had the same reaction where he, he walked out of it at the end he'd seen it a couple of times on stage in London and he just I think it was because we were we saw it in Brighton and we the audience felt queer okay which was felt felt lovely and also there was a lot of parents there with kids that were kind of dressing kind of gender neutral or like expressive and Luke, I think, looked around and just went, uh, like, imagine seeing this as a kid and, uh, like, it would have done so much for for him. One day, one day I'm going to get Luke on this podcast, by the way. Um, he's uh, consistently refusing. Um, but I think that's interesting. I mean, he didn't come out until he was, what, 25? But I think it, it would have been major to see something like that. It's just, it's, it just feels like it's such a different time for representation. Like, Jay, every time I've seen... Mark, I, I'm going to be embarrassed to tell you, maybe six or seven times I've seen Jamie on stage. Um, and I saw it every time it was in the cinema because they did live broadcast of the original cast. The and I've, I've seen the three, I've seen, well, the three main Jamies and the original uh, standby. And they were all just so different. They all brought such a different um, light to it. I recently saw uh, later, no, I'd never saw later when he was in London, but I saw him on tour a couple of weeks ago and they were in Southampton uh, with Bianca Del Rio, who I think is the best... Um, Loco Chanel. The trouble is with Loco, they always cast 
like very laddie straight men to play this gay character and i just that's that like for a show that is so progressive and so like such a beautiful representation they just always seem to like miss the nail especially now when there's like a thousand drag race girls in the uk they could just be like come be this role for 20 minutes do you know what i mean it was weird like shane ritchie i think is a great performer they keep bringing back and he's just such a laddie i can't imagine him playing a queer person. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure people will. I'll get a message from someone say like, "I saw him and he's the best gay I've ever seen." Um, but to me, I just and every time, every time I've seen anyone else play that role, it's always been a very laddie sort of straight Jack the Lad kind of guy, and I just don't understand that logic because it's not. It's meant to be the person that mentors Jamie, who's like a super super queer kid, and I just don't. I don't know if I believe that. I don't believe anything often the way they do that. But yeah, Jamie is just. It's every time I see, it, I'm just blown away that that something like that exists and that it's so popular um because but i think it's popular i think um i read an interview with bianca del rio talking about when she first went into it and why she was getting involved in the show she talked about how it's not although it's you know an inherently queer show it's not a show about being gay you can have no relation to being a queer person and come away with so much from it i went when i saw it on tour i saw it with my friend dr lauren who's Dr. Lauren, because I've got a friend who's not a doctor called Lauren, Dr. Lauren, um, who is, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying, she's she's nearly she's nearly 40 and she's a, a white cis woman and, you know, she's um, she's all the things we hate. No jokes, we love her. Um, she, um, and we when we came out, she just, she was she was like so blown away and she said, I've just taken so much of it because it's not just about the queer experience. It's about relationships. It's about finding who you are, being your true self. And I think that's true to everyone. Um, I think everyone's got some sort of, if it's not directly with their parents, there's everyone's got some sort of baggage with their family um, that they can draw stuff from Jamie. Um, everyone's got a relationship with at least one of their parents that they can relate to with Jamie and his mum, that kind of so love that kind of goes transcends. Like my mum was my best friend. I always say that my mum was my absolute my best friend without a shadow of a doubt. And I think um, the first time I saw Jamie, I think I le- literally left the, st- the I saw her on stage first. I left the theatre and I called her and said, like, this is the most amazing piece. Like, we need to go see it someday. We never did. But it's... Um, I think there's so much in stuff like that, which is great because I think, and that's also something else I love that we're doing, we're creating queer pieces that aren't just for queer people, which I mean, I know it never truly is because as much as I love things that are queer exclusive, I'm air quoting queer exclusive. I, I love the element that someone who's got no relation to the queer experience can come in and take away as much as someone that has been queer their whole life. Well, I think, I think we're so lucky to have pieces like that, that are, that transcend just what we are looking for yeah and i what did you think of the film i actually haven't watched the film yet and let me tell you for why i'm saving it for a special time because i know it's gonna be amazing and it's gonna change my life and i'm gonna regret having not watched it sooner i might watch it i might watch it tomorrow actually i've got a lot of admin work to do but i i know it's gonna be great um the only thing i i just for me i'm upset about the whole situation in terms of it being released because it was meant to be obviously cinemas and then disney had it for a while and then they they didn't want to do anything with it and they sold it to Amazon who just um, put it on Prime after like two years of being like maybe next month. So I'm kind of, I think that's probably why I haven't watched it because I'm just bitter that they didn't give me what I needed and deserved from it. All the casting that I'm aware of I think is great. Richard E. Grant who I think is a phenomenal actor. I just wish it had been RuPaul. Like it should have been RuPaul. <laughs> yes. There. I'm just going to put it out there. It should have been, Ru- it should have been, it should have been the most famous drag queen in the world. Period. I'm sure Richard, I'm sure I'll watch Richard E. Grant do it and he'll be phenomenal and I'll, I have to say he he was like probably my favorite thing about it, and I think the changes they made made such good sense. Um, with, yeah, I'm aware the original Jamie plays the young Loco doesn't doesn't 
Really? I did. I did not know that. That's a. It's a fact. Yeah, yeah. That's the original Jamie. Um. Oh God. Where the hell have we got to? Uh, what was a character or film or TV series that kind of stuck out to you? Uh. And no. Okay. Let me rephrase this because I know that you do a lot of co- co- uh, a lot of cosplay. Is there anything that kind of wasn't kind of overtly gay that sticks with you? So not necessarily queer media. If you look at my cosplay stuff, there are pictures of me as uh, the Human Torch making out with uh, Spider-Man because Spidey Torch is like a massive gay ship, which means where they um, put two characters together. Um, and it's quite common that they'll do that. I, we, I think as queer people, we do that a lot. And I kind of, it's only been in recent years I've come to kind of understand that we're doing that because we're not getting the representation we want. So we're having to like, create our own. Even when it's very clear that, you know, Spider-Man is with MJ or whoever and the Human Torch literally has sex with every female he meets apart from his sister. I assume, I don't, I haven't read the comics. I just watched, I just, I just watched, watched the Chris Evans films, not the new one, just the Chris Evans ones. He is delicious. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but to the original question, the, the one that stands out for me, I remember it's, it's Tu Wong Fu for sure because it was the first time I'd ever seen queer people represented in a way that I was like, ah, oh. and it was people that, I mean, it's, it's Patrick Swayze, it's Wesley Snipes and John, I don't know his name, from Romeo and Juliet. I don't want to pronounce it wrong, so I'm not going to try. But yeah, but Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, love Julie Newmar. It's the American take on Priscilla. Priscilla was a huge success and the Americans were like, we need one. And it's it's one of the greatest films. It's got cameos from RuPaul, uh, Lady Bunny, um, Coco Peru, uh, Robin Williams is in it, um, Naomi Campbell's in it. Like, there's so many of these like tiny cameos of people that you're like, oh, and they've gone. It's a great, it's a great film. But I was reading about it recently because it's one of my absolute favorite films, and I make everyone I meet watch it because no one's ever seen it. It's the way that Patrick Swayze plays. What pe- people often think that the character he plays is actually a trans woman, but I think that's just because they did this weird thing where like they're in drag all the time, <laughs> which no drag queen does. No drag queen like goes to Big Asda in drag. We're we're just we're just trying not to get noticed and live our lives. Um, but they from like the opening scene until the end of the film, they're in drag the entire time. But the opening scene, there, there was a lot of conversation about like Patrick Swayze, how he kind of gets into just them getting to drag. So it's how like how he's looking at himself when he's just like a man in the mirror, and then when he's a woman, like how he changes his whole body language. And he really fought for that part because up to that point he was considered like he was like the coolest person in film. Like men would go see romantic films he was in because he was there and he was cool. Like they would go see a, like a lovey-dovey movie because he was there. So this is at, this is after Point Break, uh, Dirty Dancing, uh, Go Ghost. Yeah, yeah. This, I think it's ninety four ish. I want to say ninety five, ninety five. Oh, did you Google it? Cheetah. And it's it's such an interesting piece. But they like they, they really worked hard on it. They all had to do like three months of living in not living in drag, but doing constant drag for the film. And just the performances of those three actors are just phenomenal. Like even beyond it's not just how they play queer characters, how they play people who are feeling feminine and it's people like some of the dialogues Chi Chi has like genuinely moved me to tears because it's so I believe that person. I believe this this young you know girl in a dress whatever wants to be loved and has had these experiences i, I genuinely believe it i don't think like, as much as i love priscilla i don't go away believing any of those performances from three what are definitely straight men it's a great it's a great film but in terms of what they're giving me they weren't giving me quiz um whereas i believe all three of those were, were gay men i wouldn't i wouldn't have questioned it for a second which i don't think like wesley snipes as well wesley snipes was like he was Blade, like he was so cool, and then he was, and then he's in, and then he's doing like high kicks, like there's, no, it's radical, it's so radical that they, that film even exists, and it's like so unknown. It, sh- I think it should be, for me, it feels like it should be like a cultural like mecca, but it's such an interesting piece, and I think, um, 
I would recommend it to anyone, not even just like if you're a fan of drag, like a young RuPaul's in it. And like you kind of when you when you see the section that RuPaul's in, you go like, where'd you get the idea for Drag Race then, babe? Was it um that film you did? Was it that film? It might have been that film, I think. Um, but it's just great. And it's it's a it's a film you can watch again and again because there's so many cameos that are literally just people sat in the crowd. Like Lady Bunny, um, Quentin Crisp's there. Like it's it's absolutely crazy. Um, the they they really knew what they were doing when they made that film. They they pulled all the right strings. Um, I believe he's a gay writer, so that's that's interesting. Oh, thank God! I'm so glad. It's one of ours. Yeah, Doug Douglas Carter Bean, responsible for Sister Act the musical on stage as well. Uh, uh what else? Xanadu the musical. Oh, I love Xanadu the musical. It's great. Don't watch the film if you're at home. Never watch the film of Xanadu, but the musical is phenomenal. Okay, let's let's jump into kind of the negative. So I know I I want to get kind of two perspectives here. I would like to get kind of uh, trying to uh, trans-specific uh, kind of negative representation, uh, but I'd also kind of uh, like to if there's a kind of a gay representation, you also think it's problematic. Basically, two examples of problematic queer representations. I mean, now based on the knowledge we have, I have to say. Um... I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Transparent? Transparent? Which is one of the the original um, Netflix... Not Netflix, sorry. Amazon Prime uh, series, I believe. Apparently, he was... I remember I remember when it first came out, I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, like, that looks really good. But it was back in the days when, like, none of us had streaming services. Here, anyway, at least. I've never actually watched it. Maybe I should add that to my list of things to watch. But apparently, it's come out since, because as the seasons went on, they kind of realised what they were doing was problematic, having a, a straight cis white man play the main role they kind of tried to introduce trans other trans characters and other other trans actors and apparently he wasn't very um uh what's the, what's a nice way of putting it he wasn't very pleasant towards them let's say off off screen he wasn't particularly accommodating or welcoming but i mean there was a period in time i mean i know when i was younger like things like is it six i think six feet six feet under there was a i can't remember the name of the actress she plays jean gray in the original set of x-men films um absolutely stunning like six foot seven she's an absolute giant nordic she played a trans character i know there was like a scene of her like getting a dick out or whatever to show she was a man there was also i don't know if you'll remember this you won't remember this you're way too young back in the height of uh reality when it first came out there was a show called there's something about maria i think it was and she was a trans woman and it was like a dating show kind of like the bachelor she was absolutely stunning but the 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 end of it was her like showing them her dick what she was wearing like a bikini and she just took off the bottoms and showed her penis yeah it was to them not to us i'm sure it was some there's, there's something about maria it was on channel four back in the day but it wasn't a uk original show oh uh there's something about miriam i think it's what miriam there we go yeah i knew it was an m name very bizarre but it was it was i mean i'm sure you've seen the documentary disclosure kind of when I was watching that, it kind of made me think there was just a time where like it was all about the disclosure about that, the idea of cheating. Um, I segue, I um, occasionally do some writing for like musical stuff. Me and, a, me and a friend of mine are trying to develop some pieces. One of the pieces we're kind of looking at is sort of um, characters set in like modern day London. And we, we kind of want to feature a character who is uh, a trans man. And we kind of want to do the exact opposite of what that is. Um, where he'll come out to someone and they'll be like, yeah like it not be a big deal because it was always like shock horror you know being sick into a bin um uh, ace ventura i mean that's got the 
<laughs> maybe the worst but it's like i for me i kind of i have two viewpoints because i'm i'm the world's biggest empath i think it's disgusting empath don't know if i'm saying it like a posh person um i have two viewpoints i think you know there are these horror representations from the past but equally they're of their time um i i i think it's is it universal to do it on some of their older cartoons and things where there's maybe representations of um, native americans and things that aren't necessarily very flattering they have disclaimers at the beginning um and when whoopi goldberg got brought into the disney legends hall of fame she in a speech she said i want you to bring back things like song of the south and i want you to because you need to part of the thing like i've i'm and this is here's some real controversy for you so take a take a sip of your beverage kids at home i'm a katie hopkins fan and let me tell you for why okay katie hopkins is like um she's like a buffer so she'll say for example like women don't deserve to vote she hasn't said that, I don't think. Let's just hypothetically. Kate Thompson says, women don't deserve to vote. And then we all go, no, women do deserve to vote. Women deserve the same rights as everyone else. So what she does is she initiates a conversation. And because we know she's a moron, we can disagree with her because we know she's immediately going to be wrong. We know if she's going to comes out of her mouth is the incorrect thing. People like that, I really, I wouldn't say I admire, but I'm grateful that we have people like that who will put a conversation, a narrative out there that maybe wouldn't otherwise happen. She's like, she's like a, she's like a, not a likable, but she's like a good Pierce Morgan. Although Pierce Morgan recently has kind of got common sense. Well, not recently, but he, said he, had, a, he had a moment where he was saying things and I was like, it, is he okay? But yeah, I think, and it's kind of that narrative of you need to have, you need to show us these things in the past that were wrong so we can say, oh, that's not how you represent a gay person. That's not how you show a trans person. It's really important to me that we kind of get that that side and element. Um, for me, in terms of in terms of like gay representation, I can't think of a specific example, but it's just any time when we've not been sexist because, I mean, I, <laughs> I know quite a few gay people and I wouldn't describe any of them as sexless. I mean, almost, almost the exact opposite, like almost an offensive amount of oversexed, but it's it's the fact that they kind of they're trying to make us inoffensive in that way that and it's when we for me i've always hated the term like sexuality because why you got to talk about who i'm porking why can't you talk about who who you want to love circling back you're welcome it's, it's gonna be on it's gonna be on the merch guys um <laughs> porking <laughs> porking <laughs> it's um i just think it's a bizarre way to look at things you know but I mean, when when you live in a world where people will say to a trans person, like, have you got a dick still? Like, I mean, it makes perfect sense. We're talking about the fact <laughs> who do you want to have sex with instead of saying, like, what kind of person you fall in love with? Do you think do you think it's a really bizarre way to approach a conversation? Like, what's what's your sexuality? I most like to have sex. Like, what a bizarre way. Why go there? Why go there? Why go there? <laughs> But then I was thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and uh, because of the work I'm go- kind of doing within kind of the further education system and thinking about kind of sexuality and kind of the connotations of being gay. And I think it dates back to like uh, when you had to be 18 to have kind of sex uh, in terms of same-sex relationships, uh, kind of anything to do with kind of gay uh, the only kind of representation we got was kind of either those kind of roles that aren't sexualized or overtly sexualized in porn and things. So I think that those sort of representations and the kind of the law in place and Section 28 and all these other things have kept gayness into kind of we can only talk about it 18 plus. We can only talk about it at university. And what that does is it kind of suggests that being gay is being kind of sexually deviant it's being a paedophile and kind of all these conversations and i yeah and i think that what that does is kind of 
it's just like an excuse not to talk about it to kids and not to uh, it lends well, it lends it lends back to that narrative that the church brought in back in the mid 40s when they changed paedophilia to homosexuality in the bible shout out to the christians which is bizarre like i mean i don't know if you remember this or you even saw this lego did a like pride piece that was sort of like a backdrop of waving in different colored people for the pride flag um it was it was aged 18 plus <laughs> don't you kids get away from that rainbow colored lego right now that nhs lego don't you dare touch it like honestly honestly like what a bizarre thing i bet that you could buy a uh, husband and wife uh, set that was like six plus it's that's that's for me that's more so the issue like, i don't think i think sexual conversations and conversations about um that sort of element of things perhaps are i think it's a personal thing so i mean i know people that are 16 that are more mature than 40 year olds i know but you know there's definitely a, a point at which that conversation can be had well i was just gonna i was just gonna add on that and i think even when we kind of think about kind of gender identity and i i've been reading the transgender issue by sean fay and kind of uh they were uh she's interviewing kind of a like a four-year-old that is like adamant that they are trans and like rightly so and and they were kind of talking about kind of how the schools treat that and kind of it the link is kind of shock value like you were saying and it's like there it's about kind of who's the adult that's kind of forced this ideology uh onto this child what have they kind of indoctrined this kid to be like what sort of sexual but it's all about like sexual perversion and stuff and it's just like no they just like that's who they are like i it's it's very bizarre like i just um i just don't things i just don't understand really in the world because i just think why would you especially when it comes to like kids who are feeling on somewhere on the trans spectrum um that all the things you can do to help someone at that age will have no effect on them so if when they get to 12 or like myself like i mean if i if i'd have said to someone when i was five or six that i want to be a woman and they had done something for me and when i got to 15 16 like i said i decided that wasn't the case for me anymore anything they could have done to help me at that point would have been reversible would have been changeable they could have called me a girl's name they could have given me female pronouns they i could have allowed to wear dresses i could have i've never had needs to but i could have gone on like hormone blockers which i could have stopped taking and this this masculinity that i've yet to find could come kicking in do you know what i mean like it's not um it's it's a bizarre gatekeeping sort of but i mean we i could go into so many things but it's like the, the, the way that i as someone that dresses as a woman as someone that presents as a woman quite a lot of the time i the thing the way we treat women is just crazy when i've got nails on when i'm wearing a dress that's got pockets when i've got off the, how do women do anything how do we expect them to do anything honestly in these ridiculous things that we expect them to have you know and it's all kind of relative that we're kind of, i feel like we're always just trying to stop people from being their most progressive and it's the same with things like that I mean, things like um, if you wanted to go have a vasectomy, you could have one tomorrow. If a woman wanted to have a similar operation, it's a long process. She has to be seen by like 12 doctors. She has to have like a psychologic, that's not words, psychology, I don't know. She needs, to be, she needs to be seen by someone to make sure she's making the right choice. Like it's not, whereas you could literally go in and be like, can I come tomorrow and have the sniff? And they'd be like, cool, sure. Because you're a man and you could, you're responsible for your own choices, I guess. But it's just, it's such a bizarre mentality that we have. And I don't understand i can't compute where that comes from like what wh- what are we afraid they're gonna do like <laughs> be happy like oh no not no happiness now please no not under the tory government please <laughs> you're welcome okay we'll jump back into a little bit of positivity um do you think i i think i know the answer but do you think things are moving forward 
Yes, but it's... I was talking about this just the other day, and I think I posted something about it. It's like progression that's like... It's gone from being like offensive to being like, okay. It's not like... it's It, it, it feels like a massive step, but really when you think it's been like, what, 50 years of cinema? What year, what we in now? 70s? Yeah, 50 years of cinema and TV. It's not a huge leap just to have us be like humans. Um, if I can tangent just ever so slightly, but it is definitely relevant. Um, I've recently read the um, biography of Amanda Lepore. Are you familiar with Amanda Lepore? I, yeah, I know, know of them. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little brief description for the home listener. Um, so Amanda Lepore is an American club kid. She's a fashion icon. She basically looks like if Jessica Rabbit was a real human being, but she's blonde. Um, she's a trans woman. Um, an autobiography I've, I've wanted it for ages and I thought I bought it myself for Christmas because I normally buy myself something for Christmas I was like you know what this year it's Amanda Lepore's book when I tell you it's probably about an inch thick and half of it is pictures I was like okay well listen maybe but the narrative of it like it reads like a screenplay like the way it starts she talks about this dream she had about all this hair when she was a little boy quote unquote um, and the way it ends it's so beautiful and the way she talks about um she talks candidly about everything about like her sex change about operations she's had since to look at her she she looks like a cartoon character like you're not going to be she's definitely been touched by an angel once or twice you know it's not uh you're not going to be surprised when she talks about like a four or five boob job she's had but it's the way the narrative of it is just so cinematic that it almost feels um, like an injustice that we've yet to have like some sort of film or television series based on it, because also the, the time, the period of time it straddles her life, um, like in New York specifically, um, she was there throughout the eighties and things. Um, I recently found out because I remember googling her when I was reading it. Like, How old is she? And it was like fifty four, and I was like, okay. However, her the hospital she was born in burnt down, so she got to recreate a birth certificate. So it's believed she might be. 10 20 years older no one knows no one knows how old she is, which i love but imagine like, what a treat be like hospitals burnt down guess i was born in 1992 what an opportunity what an icon but it, like what's the name of it amanda lapore dull parts no no I'll, I'll check that out too i will put it on my recommended list was there any negative responses in your upbringing towards queer identities from the media so from kind of media representations not really but i mean if i'm honest like growing up in the early 90s there wasn't a lot it wasn't regular um i think now it's definitely more regular i mean i again i promise soaps not my only reference but i know soaps have a lot of queer characters and i use them i use them as a base point because i think that's sort of what john and sally watch of a night do you know what i mean i think the, it's the most commonly viewed thing so i think they kind of represent what is happening in the world so to have have regular queer characters on shows i mean like hollyoaks has had regular queer characters for well over a decade but they're kind of a bit more progressive and also terribly written but yeah i think you kind of you, you every soap kind of has queer representation now which i mean mostly is white gay men which is a shame that there's not more but i mean i i don't know about you but i know growing up for me and when i was and i use that term broadly for like even when i was maybe in my early 20s i was developing myself as a queer person often the people that i was getting my represent, representation from and feeling represented by were women um not because I felt like a woman at that point, but because I felt like they represented the kind of person that I was, the kind of person I wanted to be. You know, I think, um, I don't know about you, but I know, like, I meet your friend Holly. She's kind of one of them camp people that I kind of, she just gets it. You know I mean? She's on my vibe, she's on my wavelength. Um, and it's kind of people like that, I think, that kind of were giving me the representation I needed and wanted. These powerful sort of w- camp women who, um, 
kind of just understood it like my i'm a huge disney fan and my first exposure really to disney as to become a fan was when i saw the little mermaid on broadway and i fell in love with ursula i'd never seen them never seen the film um this was like 2016 i want to say um that was like the first, i used, i was like not i was adamantly not a disney fan although i'd seen stuff in the cinema because you do as a kid um and like ursula i remember the, in the musical she was so like camp and over the top and it was one of my favorite musical theater performers at the time um and the costume was so lavish and ridiculous um and i was just i remember leaving and being like i knew that like my life had changed which sounds really really gay but um <laughs> it's it's one of those moments that kind of like that's where i was getting what i needed you know but as a kid i don't i really don't remember much representation that there was enough to be commented on there definitely was comments outside of that like i was aware that being gay well i wasn't aware sorry i'm going to rephrase that entire section it was it was expressed to me that being gay was a negative thing and that it wouldn't be a good thing to be but it wasn't because of representation of things we were seeing on television and the media but i do think if i can just talk some more <laughs> my my biggest my biggest issue right now with negative representation is um real life trans representation is the one i kind of have although it's getting better because we've got actual like all the cast opposed like there was a there was a period in time where we had like caitlin jenner and i can't remember her surname but she was a news presenter called india who was on big brother and i remember like she was just the way she was behaving the things she was saying was so ridiculous and i just thought like we don't need people like that because that feeds into the and the same with like when we had Theresa may as a prime minister and she was doing such a horrible job at the time it feeds into a narrative where someone's bigoted dad can say you know oh women shouldn't be prime minister or all, all trans women are blah blah, blah. do you know what I mean it, it allows and it, it continues a narrative that we don't need we don't need we don't need to have yeah I, we, I, I would hate for there to be a young girl who one day could have been the greatest prime minister we ever had but she's not going to ever go into politics because her dad saw Theresa May dancing like a robot and acting like a fool and said to her oh women can't be prime minister of this country they always mess it up you know and that's not that's not the case. It's just a narrative. It just feeds into a narrative, like the way Caitlyn Jenner is with everything. Honest to God, it, it's just so difficult to see these people that are the representation that you go. Oh, let's look at famous trans women. There's Caitlyn Jenner, okay. Uh, but now we've got people like uh, MJ Rodriguez uh, of Pose fame. We've got Dominique Jackson from Pose. We've got um, Laverne Cox. So many great. Uh, and I mean, uh, recently we've um, um, Nikki Tutorials recently came out as trans. Um, which I think is hilarious because they were trying to blackmail her and that's why she came out. But look what it's done for her career. Like she's like hosted uh, all these like, award shows and things on the back of like that vulnerability she showed. She got to meet Adele. I feel like I saw, I feel like I saw her on Drag Race at some point. Was she on Drag Race? She's, uh, she was, she was on, the, she was on Holland twice, I think season one. Yeah. Cause she's, she is actually Dutch. Yeah. So in, but it's like, I'm glad that we were getting people that, if I was a young trans person, I could look up to. But I do wonder, like I was circling back to my original point, I do wonder whether other people do what I do and go, the representation I'm seeing isn't what I want and finding what they need in other places. Okay, um, well, let me wrap up then, Ross. Uh, thank you, obviously, so much for taking the time to speak to me. Where can the listeners find you? Um, firstly, let me just thank you for having me. Um, and I also want to say that I really love all the stuff you put out there. I think it's really important. And I think... Like I'm a I'm a big advocate for like even if you're saying the same thing someone else is saying like say it because your voice someone might understand what you're saying you know like RuPaul says like if you can't love yourself how can you love somebody else like if I say you know I couldn't fall in love with someone else until I realised what I had to offer mine might hit someone else you know what I mean like and someone might take from me what's been said a hundred times every every episode um, so I think it's really important um, and I think um, 
what you're sharing with people is so important. Here's where you can find me online. Um, <laughs> so my uh, my quote unquote boy self is Ross E Cobb, which is R O S S E C O B B. Can you be able to say the spell my own name? Cancelled. Um, and then my drag stuff is Lucy Kabusi, which is Lucy spelled the normal way. Kabusi is C A B O O S I. That I can spell. Um, and where can people find you? What are you doing at the moment? You're hosting regularly. Where's that at? So I do, um, I primarily, I'm Portsmouth based. So I am Friday, Saturdays, I host uh, in HB, Hampshire Boulevard, which is Portsmouth currently only gay bar. Um, maybe we'll get more one day. We used to have three when I was a youth, back when I was a child, um, 18. Um, and then I, I host a quiz regularly in Guildhall, which is like the main strip of clubs in Portsmouth, which is like, like a straight bar, which is really nice. Um, they're really lovely there and i'm starting to do brunches at drift um which i'm really excited about um but i'm hoping i can develop them because at the moment it's just me doing them which i mean who wants i mean listen i love myself but i don't but i enjoy myself but who wants three hours of me no one no one needs that no one deserves that that's all my material every song i'll be like here is a transition song from into the woods like do you know what i mean like we're gonna, i'm gonna be scraping the barrel for material <laughs> any fans of Miss Saigon <laughs> literally <laughs> I was in the ensemble of Oliver <laughs> fade glorious fade like literally I'm going to be scraping the barrel for any material I've got um, no but yeah so um, I do like, other things occasionally um, I'm doing a competition in Manchester this month which hopefully might lead to getting some work up there um, and I'm available just drop me a DM I'll do anything weddings, funerals um, whatever you need whatever you need a busty blonde Hi everyone and welcome back. I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Ross. I really did. It was a really fun time. And as I said, I really did struggle to cut it down. A reminder that you can find Ross over on Instagram, both under their personal account and her drag account. I wish you all a pleasant day, night or rest for sleep. And I'll see you all over on the next podcast. If you are interested in being interviewed for the podcast, regardless of whether you belong to the queer community or not, please, please get in contact on our Instagram at Queer Reflections. And please leave feedback, reviews, and share when you listen to the podcast. It really, really does help. Take care and have a wonderful day, whatever you're up to. Bye.